0: My friends and family I want to welcome you to today's broadcast of bridge building solutions you know I hope that as we are on this journey together and more and more of you are becoming a part of this that we would just truly open up our hearts and be willing to learn you know it takes a little humility just to kind of stop and listen and learn on our part but you know what Jesus has given us a big dose of that and we have the ability to do it on the inside of us if we just tap into it we we need a different path. We need to find a different way into help, into helping foster the racial healing that is so needed in our world, in our communities, in our churches, in our families, and so that's what we're all about. You know, with all the rancor that's going on in this world, we're just seeking that path, trying to find a way that we have not been able to find yet. And it's just going to take us opening up our hearts. You know, Bridge Building Solutions was born out of the heart of God to help us all learn how to destroy the divisiveness in our lives, in our families, and in our churches. And, and, you know, specifically, I'd like to say the family of God. Wow. There is too much evil manifesting in our lives. We are too divided, and we are being conquered by that division. So we obviously need some help. You know, Jesus warned us that a house divided against itself can't stand. We've known that. We've we've preached that, but we've you know kind of focused it in on the little box that we live in and work to find some unity. And there, when Jesus was really talking about the big picture, you know, I realize the enemy likes to work on our little focus group, our little circle of of community, if you will. But he's trying to destroy the body of Christ, and I I want, I want to be a part of of yielding the protection that we are so needed. Let, let, let's let's listen to those words. House divided won't be able to stand. You know, in 1963, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, and I quote, it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning. And you know, according to the experts, not much has really changed. It remains true today. About eight in out of 10 American congregants still attend services at a place where a single racial or ethnic group comprises at least 80% of the congregation. You know, I got to always go back to what Jesus prayed right before he left us. He prayed his last prayer in John chapter 17. And, you know, I've always said that if this is going to be your last prayer, it's going to be about something important. It's going to be about something that is dear to the heart of God. So in John chapter 17, I want to read this to you. I want you to to this. Jesus said, he said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the ones that were with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And that, that's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. You know, we're not getting anybody's attention with all the division that we're dealing with in the body of Christ. And it's our unity. It's our ability through the love of God, through humility, through faith and patience that we can come together and truly be something that the world will take a look at. You know, how can our family? Who lives and breathes that they are followers of Christ. If I asked you how many of you are followers of Jesus, you would probably all raise your hand and say, yes, amen, that's me. You know, how, how can we live and breathe that we are followers of Christ, the one who prayed this prayer, and not engage in the healing of these divides? You know, it, it was one thing. It would be one thing if it was just in the world, but it's not just in the world. It's, it's in the church. It's in the, in the family of God. And we have to do something about it. And we don't. That's right. It says something about us. Dr. King called it appalling. He said it is appalling that we are the most segregated our America, even to this day. You know, there's a lot of reasons for divisions, especially in the body of Christ. But today what I want to do is I want to focus on the divides that are in us across racial and cultural lines. You know, when things began to happen in this country a few years ago, you know, it slapped us all in the face. You know, we saw videos that we had never seen before. We were faced and confronted with things that um, in a lot of ways we were able to ignore in the past. But, you know, it it was just there And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but I felt like I got slapped in the face when when things began to happen and the division began to manifest and cruel cruel cruelty, the cruelty that began to happen in people of color's lives really became more known than ever before, you know. We hit the streets. I don't care whether you were black, white, Latino, Asian, Indigenous, we were all in the streets. We were all in a sense of solidarity protesting what was going on, we were all present. But you know, I have to say, other than the positive verdict that happened in George Floyd trial, not much has really changed. You know, the emotions has wore off, and we've just got settled back into our own little worlds, but not a lot has changed. And you know, that, that makes me ask the question, why? Why hasn't much changed? I mean, after last year and all the solidarity and all the protests that happened, why is it that not a lot has changed? Well, you know, there's a lot of reason, but, but you know, here's my thought, and, and I'm going to ask you to listen to this. I know there's a lot of other opinions and a lot of other thoughts out there, but I'm, I'm just going to ask you to think about this, if you will. People of color, especially black people, have been trying to tell us all along about what they have been dealing with but the truth is we haven't wanted to listen we haven't wanted to hear it because you know it it affects us it it impacts us it involves us as part of the problem and the truth is is we don't really want to hear it you know once the emotion of horrible crimes wear off we have nothing outside of our emotions we have nothing in it, and it's right here that we get stuck. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And so many times our silence can be so traumatic. It can be more traumatizing than we could ever imagine. And then there's others who are just plain uncomfortable with these discussions. Well, let me say it this way. There's others just that are, that are just plain uncomfortable with the truth. And they settle back into their white spaces and begin to judge and criticize people that are out there trying to make some of the changes. They look for every opportunity, it seems, to criticize and judge people of color for going about it the way they're going about it. The reverend or the revered Martin Luther King, you know, today, you know, he, he is so revered. He is so looked up to. But you know, during the 1960s, during the civil rights movement, he was being accused of being a communist. There were white and medical preachers that read together and wrote a letter, told him and told him that he was moving too fast. Today in our world, if you dare to use the hashtag Black Lives Matter, it's thrown in your face that all lives matter. I've been accused of being a Marxist because I wore a Black Lives Matter t-shirt or I used the hashtag told that my efforts to build bridges were racist, were divisive. People have been warned to stay away from me because I've been trying to do whatever I could to help myself and other people learn how to foster racial healing. You know, some white people shout all the time. Why does it always have to be race? How many times maybe have you said that? How many times have you heard that? Now we got people criticizing critical race theory, criticizing Black Lives Matter, almost like the truth is too much to bear, almost like we don't want to know the truth. Now we have states passing laws like our own saying that we can't teach certain things about race, things that don't shed a good light on whiteness. You know, l- l- let, me, let, me, let me pause here and ask a question have you ever thought about how much trauma all these things inflict on people of color I remember one time somebody posted in uh, on my Facebook I'm so sick of black lives matter you know and okay you got an opinion about black matter but I just wondered do you do you understand and you are you were somebody who had a lot of black friends. Well, if you do, do you, do you understand how how traumatizing it is when we say things like that? I I probably said things that have been hurtful um, before too, and probably um, will do it again. But I I, I just I, I'm just I, just I just want you to consider. Have you ever thought about how much trauma, when you say those types of things, it inflicts on people of color? You know, our desire to protect the narrative, the story, inflicts. Horrible wounds in certain parts of our family, parts of our family who are maybe of a little darker hue. It screams to them that we don't get it and we don't care. It does nothing to foster racial healing. I know what it means to be stuck here. I I, I know what it means to feel like you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. I know what it feels like to get, you know, Tired of of everything seeming to be, you know, about race. But saying nothing and doing nothing can be so hurtful. But you know what? I don't want to stay here. And I know that you don't want to stay there either. So here's where we're going with all of this. I wanted to ask yourself the question, how can I help? How can I personally help foster racial healing? I don't care whether it's in my family, uh, my church, community, in the country that I live in, in the world. I, I want you to ask that question. How can I help? I know a lot of people got a lot of opinions about things, what people should do and what people shouldn't do. But I want you to just I just want you to focus on you just for a moment here. How can I help? What can I do to foster racial healing? I have to say, well, first of all, quit saying that you don't see color that you just see people. Quit saying you never owned slaves, that that's in the past, That's that that's a part of history that I wasn't involved in. Quit saying that you have people of color who are your friends. Are they really? And just start educating yourself about race. You know, before you start spouting off what you've heard, heard let's learn some things. I, I like to say it this way. Let's start listening to people of color. And, and I want to warn you, you know, just like not all white people think alike, not all black people think alike. Not all people of color think alike. You can always find somebody who thinks like you do, regardless of the ethnicity or the culture. But what I'm asking you to do is open your heart to a differing opinion. Open your heart up to people's experience who has maybe been a little bit different than yours. And let's start Listening specifically to people of color. You know, the last time we were together, I introduced to you the four R's of racial reckoning. You know, what can I, as a white person, and I'm not saying black people don't have a people of color don't have a role to play in this, but but I'm I'm just specifically dealing with with some certain issues here that pertain more to white people than others. But let, let me let me just share with you again the four R's of racial reckoning. You remember what they were? Number one, relationships. Number two, remembering. Number three, repenting. And number four, repairing. Let me give you those again. Relationships, remembering, repenting, and repairing. The four R's of racial reckoning. Today I want to I want to explore relationships a little bit. You know, people say to me all the time, you know, I, I I have a friend who's a person of color. I have a uh, a friend who's a, a different ethnicity than me people say that all the time but so i i want to i want to talk a little bit about relationships a few years ago when my baby sister died of breast cancer my family could no longer stand on the sidelines and not help raise funds for cancer research i i remember a couple of my grandparents died of cancer but when my baby sister died way too early, it impacted our lives. It changed our thinking about whether or not we should be involved and help and do whatever we could do to eliminate this dreadful disease called cancer. You know, your child or someone in your family comes out gay, your bigotry towards the LGBTQ community doesn't work anymore. You know, when you got a loved one who's gay, when when you got someone living in your house that's gay, your bigotry about that community doesn't work anymore. When you have a genuine relationship with a person of color, I have to say that racism doesn't work anymore. I mean, you just can't stand idly by and white watch uh, the systemic elements of racism destroy people's lives. The horrible acts of racism destroy people's lives. When you got somebody in your family that you love that is dear to your own heart and i'm not talking just about your natural family but i'm talking about your spiritual family your network of family you know you racism doesn't work anymore you just can't stand idly by and watch it inflict itself on people james baldwin one of the authors that i'm i'm reading a little bit after right now said this the big lie is an inter- is interpreted the lie that lives of white people matter more than lives of black people The big lie is interrupted. The lie that the lives of white people matter more than the lives of black people. Your life gets interrupted. You can't love your neighbor while supporting or accepting or putting up with systems that crush, exploit, and dehumanize them. A genuine relationship with a person of color will help you understand better what it means together. I I want to emphasize the word genuine here because, you know, a lot of us say that we have friends who are people of color, but I I, I want to ask you, what, what type of friendship do you have? We need to let we belong together sink into our hearts and lives. You know, we as Christians, followers of Christ, like to talk about the boundless love of God, There's no boundaries with God. There's nothing that you and I could ever do that would cause God not to love us. So we've experienced the boundless love of God. But how about boundless belonging? Relationships change everything. My oneness with God demands that I be one with you. Just like the eye cannot say to the hand that I have no need of you, we cannot sit in our houses of worship where we all look like each other, think like each other, all like the same things and say we have no need of someone who doesn't. How many times have we shunned, pushed to the margins? Someone who liked like the same music as us, didn't think like us, didn't believe like us, didn't act like us. My my friends, my family, we're supposed to be a body. Every part is different, unique in its purpose to sustain the health and well-being of the body. We in the the church, in the body of Christ, are supposed to be a body. We're not a warehouse where we're stuck in boxes with parts who look like us. You know, we're, we're not supposed to all think alike. We're not supposed to all like the same thing. We're supposed to allow our diversity contribute to the health and wellness of our body. I would, you know, at one point, I would have to say that building relationships with, you know, a person of a different ethnicity or a different culture would be tricky, but not anymore. I mean, even here in Iowa, you know, diversity is happening. It is coming, even in our smallest communities We're no longer all white communities. We have people of a different ethnicity, of a different um, culture in our lives, in our communities, in our churches, and now even our families. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at your own network of relationships, your family, your workspace, your church, your favorite hangout. We almost all likely have connections somewhere in there with people of color. I can't tell you again how many times I've heard white people say, "I have a friend who's a person of color." Okay, then let's work at moving from a surface relationship. Let's move it, move into a space where we are really getting to uh, know each other. I like to say to a relationship that has depth or substance. You know, it can just start as as, as easy as a simple get together. I, I, I found this that people love to. Share their stories. All you have to do is ask sometimes, tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your job. Tell me about you. And I mean, people love to talk about themselves, you know. But if we're too busy or talking too much about ourselves, we're never going to, we're going to never learn anything about anyone else, what someone else who might be different than us is going through. I realize that depth won't happen overnight. And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that you should just go out and find a, a person of color and ask them to be your friend because you want to grow in your understanding of their experience. Like I said, you don't have to look anywhere hardly beyond your network. And I realize that it's not going to happen overnight. But when genuine interest and concern manifest in a relationship, it will almost always happen. This is where we got to sit back and listen and learn. You know, we, we, not everybody's experience is like ours. So we have to, in order to learn, we have to listen. But when we do, we are going to learn. And you know what? As trust happens in that relationship, you can begin to dig into others' experiences that are different than yours. You know, here's a, here's a good question you could ask, or here's a good question that you could pose in your relationships. I'm trying to learn how people, from different backgrounds, see the world differently than I do. What has your experience been? What is your experience? What are you going through? What are you feeling? And I I realize there needs to be a little bit of trust there. But again, it's here we have to listen and learn. We don't argue. We don't try to fix people. We don't try to change their opinions. We don't try to enlighten them. We just love and listen. When that happens, your relationship will develop and trust will begin to manifest. Several years ago, I I helped, I hired, I'm sorry, I hired an assistant pastor to help me navigate our ministry that was becoming so diverse. Pastor James was his name, James Ransom. I love him. I I I have always loved him but even though our relationship may have started on the surface, surface, it grew to incredible depths. He was a black man and he was a force and he helped me so much in my journey that today I can call him a true friend. We've had so many deep dive conversations. I, I will say conversations that made me squirm a little bit, made me uncomfortable, made me feel a little guilty Made me feel ashamed, but more than that, gave me hope. He told me this once. He said, "Pastor Dan," he said, "Black people will love you, but that doesn't mean they'll trust you." And wow, you know, I, I think he wanted me to know that because there were a lot of people of color attending our church and expressing their love uh, to me, to to the white people in the church, to the vision that we had. But that was something that I I needed to learn as it relates to race relations. I I mean, I think I understood that in marriage and in family, you know, trust has to be earned. We all know that trust has to be earned and it will not be earned from the sideline of life. It will require that we leave the comfort of our space and we intentionally work at building with building relationships with people who don't look like us building trust takes time and i like to say relentless intentionality you know when you're stuck in this in the in the muck of life sometimes the hardest step to take is the first step i know you have friends who are people of color that's wonderful that's great but have you taken any steps to open up your heart And to listen and learn from them. To ask them how they're doing. What they think about something you think you have all figured out. I know it's easy to stay stuck. But I'm just believing a lot of you don't want to stay there. I'm just trusting that a lot of you want to take your first step. And I guess what I want to share with you in closing today is that you can do it. You can do it. You can take your first steps to build the relationships you need that will help you learn how to take your steps towards fostering racial healing. And you know what I'm doing? I'm going to pray that you will be strong and courageous. Get your boot out of the mud and start taking your first steps. You know, next time we're together, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about step two and that's remembering. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we remember? Is it really necessary? And I just want to say in closing that history gives us context to what's really going on even today. And that context will give us understanding. And that understanding will motivate us to take first steps will motivate us to be empathetic and toward other experiences that are different than ours. Okay. I want to encourage you, don't to forget to share this podcast with your friends. If you're getting something out of this, then share. Let your friends know about this podcast. All you've got to do is go to our, our website, bridgebuildingsolutions.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast right there. We're on all the podcast apps. We're also on YouTube and Facebook. However you want to watch or listen to us, I hope that you'll take the time to do it. We'll see you next time.